Good morning, and welcome to Point of View on WNUA 95.5 FM Chicago. I'm Charlie Myerson. Our guest this time out is a man who, for a year and a half, held one of the most visible and, by almost all accounts, most difficult jobs in all of high techdom. He was the boss of Apple Computer. Every company I'd ever been had a disciplined organization. If the CEO came in and said, okay, guys, we're going to go do that, there was this cloud of smoke and a lot of activity, and off they went in that direction. Uh, in Apple, of course, what I, what I got was like almost like children going off and doing something totally different. It's Dr. Gil Emilio, the chief of Apple Computer, from February 1996 to July 97, when Apple's founder, Steve Jobs, returned to power. Dr. Emilio has written a book about that time, On the Firing Line, My 500 Days at Apple. Welcome to Point of View. Welcome to Chicago. Thank you, Charlie. Happy to be here. What do you it see was. as the landmarks uh, in, in, in the company's activity during the time that you were in charge of Apple? I like to think in terms of time passengers as this, as this year of chaos, uh, out of which we came into a sort of a storm and out of which we came into a, into a calmer area, still pretty exciting, but, but calmer. And, uh, and, and in a bizarre sort of way, the, the last six months were my best six months. 96 was characterized by five, uh, four or five crises that I had to deal with. Uh, and uh, those are the, those are the, that's the tapestry, if you will, of that year. Uh, the first, first one, when I walked in the door, was we were running out of money. Uh, Spindler, in his effort to, uh, to expand the market. It's Michael Spindler, Michael your Spindler predecessor. Michael for the, for the, uh, for the, for the uh, Mac had built a lot of low-end uh, machines, called at that time called the Performa. And we had $2 billion of Performas in the factory and nobody buying them. And as, as the computer industry evolves, computers are, are outdated almost as soon as... Dave Barry has said, you they should have a trash they can at the checkout counter and just throw them out as you leave because they're, they're outdated quickly. So if they're in the warehouse, then they're not going anywhere. Definitely not like wine. They do not age well. <laughs> You want to, uh, you know, you want to get them out the door. So we had this huge inventory, uh, and since the, the cash the company had 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 been used to build this inventory, we had no money. So unless we could get those machines sold and free up some of that cash, we were going to be in deep trouble. Uh, and since they weren't selling, uh, and there was no guarantee that they would sell, uh, I had to find some other uh, recourse. Anyhow, without getting into all of the details. Well, where'd those computers go? I think that's something people want to know. Uh, we cut the price dramatically. Uh, we gave some away to schools, uh, and uh, we sold the rest. In fact, we sold more than I thought we did. What, and what it proved, I think, was that the market was highly elastic, more elastic than we'd imagined. We thought, uh, at least prior to my uh, time of being there, they thought that you could price the machine higher or lower, it wouldn't matter, and higher gave you better profits, so the market wasn't ter terribly elastic. But it, but it turned out that it was fairly elastic, that as we lowered the price of these machines, they really went out the door pretty as quickly. As the entire industry is finding out this year. Well, and that, that was sort of a prelude to the so-called cheap PC, the sub-thousand-dollar PC that you're seeing uh, have such an impact on the market today. So my first crisis was this cash thing. Got that, uh, got that uh, wrestle to the ground. We did... Uh, Kind of exciting story I tell in the book about how we raised 660 million, uh, uh, literally overnight from the time uh, most people go to bed till the time they get up. We raised the money, and it makes for a fascinating story of uh, uh, in the in the history of financial transactions. 
Uh, so what we did is I hired Goldman Sachs. They have this tremendous sales force. They stimulated a lot of people to get onto a conference call on which I got on with my CFO, Fred Anderson. The two of us gave a half-hour presentation. We answered questions for another half-hour. Uh, and then the Goldman Sachs salesman went to work. And the idea was from the time the markets closed on one day till the time they opened the next morning, we were going to raise this money. And we, our original target was $575 million. We actually raised 660. <laughs> totally amazing. First time that had ever been done. Our guest on Point of View on WNUA 95.5 is Dr. Gil Emilio, former Apple Computer CEO. His book is On the Firing Line, My 500 Days at Apple. Well, let's, let's again walk through uh, the rest of yeah, that year with our the, listeners. And I'll be uh, uh, quickly recap. The next crisis was a quality crisis. Uh, the, and again, in the effort to ramp up volume, the quality had suffered. Uh, and uh, it got so bad that we had to shut down the PowerBook line for four was months. It laptop fires. Which was the laptop, yeah. right, yeah, exploding, exploding yeah. PowerBooks and things like that. I had to get that all cleaned up. That was the next crisis. Then, then I discovered that the new generation operating system, which was codenamed Copeland, uh, was on uh, a path to a dead-end street. Uh, it was not going to work. It was never going to work. And I had 500 people working on this project, and it was clearly... Uh, terminally flawed. I had to kill that project, and of course, the instant you do that, people say, "Okay, what are you going to do for an operating system?" And that's that's the next crisis I dealt with. Uh, I think somewhat successfully, although some people argue with that, in in the sense that I we now redefined a new Mac OS 8 operating system, uh, which was born out of that termination of Copeland. Uh, and uh, said we would introduce it on July 22nd of 1997, which was a year into the future at that time. Uh, it was, in fact, introduced exactly on that day. Uh, and unlike uh, Mr. Gates' recent experience at, uh, at <laughs> Comdex, Comdex it worked. Yeah. <laughs> and it worked well. And, and a lot of people argue that, uh, that Mac OS 8 saved the Macintosh. So that was a crisis I dealt with. And then I wanted to get a generation beyond Mac OS 8 going. And that's when I started to shop around for a new generation of technology. And I looked at B. I looked at Next, which was Steve Jobs' uh, company he had founded after he left Apple. Uh, I looked at uh, Sun Microsystems. I looked at Microsoft. Uh, and we finally decided in what I think is uh, one of those great events in, in, in business history uh, to, uh, to acquire Next and bring Steve Jobs back to, uh, to Apple. And there was a pivotal point in your time exactly. at Apple Computer. And that, um, and that really was a turning point in terms of my uh, relationship with the company. Yeah. A, a lot of people, and we'll get back to Steve Jobs in a minute, a lot of people who've gone through the sometimes humiliating experiences uh, that you describe in this book, I think might have decided not, not to write about them. Let's bury it. Hmm. You know, I'm going to get on with my life. How did you make the decision not only to... to relive that time, but in essence to parade it before the public in this book. I, I thought it was a story that need to be, needed to be told. Uh, you know, all the CEOs uh, will write books about um, how, how they were successful at doing something. I've even written one of those myself uh, about, about my work at National Semiconductor. What, what occurred to me hadn't been written is, is something that put the reader in your head as you went through a tumultuous period in the history of a company and tried to communicate to that reader what it must have felt like 
uh, because most of us are not going to be CEOs, and most of us are not going to be CEO of Apple Computer for sure. This was a way of sort of vicariously living through my eyes and, 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 and my taking the steps that I took. And I thought that was a real contribution for people to see, that it doesn't always go well, and there are very human reasons for understanding why it doesn't go well. And, and of course, that was the other reason for the book, was to try to explore in a little more depth why did things just not work out for Apple. And then finally, there was a lot of meetings that took place during that period of time that were reported on the press. And the, the press, press does a, 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 as good a job as, as I think is reasonably possible. However, they're usually not behind the closed doors listening to the actual events as they actually take place. What they're getting is second and third hand reports. I was there at most of the pivotal events that took place in that uh, period of time, events involving Steve Jobs, events involving Bill Gates, and so forth, and I wanted to give sort of straight-from-the-horse's-mouth version of what really happened in those things. So those are some of the reasons I, I wrote this book. Uh, I, may, maybe as a last point, I would say that it had some, some kind of a cathartic effect, because while it was painful to relive those things, and I will, and I will tell you it was, um, it sort of liberated me to now get on with the next phase of my life. This uh, this book, and I should mention, our guest is Apple Computer, former Apple Computer CEO Gil Emilio. His book is on the firing line. Uh, this book is, uh, in many ways, uh, as much about Steve Jobs, the Apple Computer founder who came back, who brought you back into the company, and then who ultimately replaced you, as it is about you, it seems uh, to me, having, having you can, read it. You, you can't understand Apple unless you understand Steve Jobs. Well, and does anyone understand Steve Jobs? <laughs> I think I, at one level, yes, I think you can understand uh, uh, Steve in the sense that he's a very uh, creative, uh, creatively brilliant guy, but he's brilliant in a very much a right-brain sense. Uh, I've had numerous conversations with Steve where Steve will say, I think we should do such and such, and I would say to him, well, why is that? And he would say, well, I can't explain it, but it's, I just know it's the right thing to do. Now, if I had the same conversation with Bill Gates, what I would have gotten would be, you know, a five-point detail list of why we should do it, all the equations to go along with it, and it would be a very left-brain analytical thing. So these two men are as about as, they're both brilliant, but they're as different as they could possibly be. And, uh, and so Steve had this very intuitive thing about it. He was also a, a natural-born maverick, uh, defiant of authority. I think the story about when he launched the Macintosh program, he went into a separate building, he hoisted a pirate's flag out front, he openly defied uh, the authority at that time, uh, which, of course, led to his breakup with uh, John Scully. Uh, but who it was... was a, who was, again, another, another Apple CEO. Apple CEO. And the one who ousted Steve Jobs. That's or, exactly or, or right. And, and, and so, the, the, the unfortunate, uh, fortunate or unfortunate, as the case may be, the Mac was so successful that all of the employees, uh, the engineers especially in, in uh, Apple, got imprinted in their brain the fact that if you want to be spectacularly successful, what you do is you defy authority, you fly pirate flags or the equivalent of that, uh, and you basically do your own thing and you ignore, you ignore the boss. So when I walked in there, I was somewhat chagrined to learn that I would give a direct order for someone to go do something. They would, they would nod their head in the vertical direction, and then they would proceed to do absolutely nothing. And... I've, I found out that they had this view of the CEO, that the CEO was the guy who talked to the shareholders, talked to the press, got his picture in the paper, but by God, don't depend on him to make a real decision. And so uh, I had to work very, very hard to get that changed. Yeah. Did you succeed? Do you feel as if I think, you I think succeeded? I did. I think 
I think, as I, as I said uh, before we came in the air, my last six months there were, were really my best six months. Uh, we, uh, uh, we had this tremendously turbulent year, but in, in retrospect, it was really good to clean up all of that stuff, and including the management team. I made, I made major management changes by the end of that first year, and finally got a team that I was beginning to feel good about was, was the right team to, to pull this thing off. And I think that evidence of that is that the last six products we introduced were introduced on time. They were introduced to rave reviews. They were introduced with uh, and, and met our quality standards uh, up to and including Macintosh Operating System 8, uh, which, as I said earlier, was probably uh, attributed to saving, saving, saving Apple and saving the Mac. Uh, and I, I was very much my fingerprints all over Mac OS 8, because I personally led that. I thought uh, one of the most revealing passages in the book uh, was your accounting of a dinner that you and your wife had with Steve Jobs and his wife shortly before you left the company. You were relieved of your responsibilities. I, I set the stage. It was, it was a vegetarian restaurant, right? Set the stage for our audience and, and tell us what, what you drew, or in retrospect, they can draw out of After we closed the transaction with Next... Uh, which was in February of 97. To acquire Steve Jobs' company. Exactly. Steve, Steve Jobs uh, came to me, and he said, we ought to go out to dinner with our wives and, uh, and celebrate. So I said, well, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that? Well, you know, he was traveling. I was traveling. Schedules were happening. We had events that we had to deal with. And so finally, uh, we got it scheduled, and we got it scheduled for June 16th, 1997. And I said, would you like me to pick the restaurant? I said, and I offered to bring the wine. And he said, well, let me pick the restaurant. So I picked this very uh, uh, basic vegetarian restaurant in Redwood City, uh, California, which, which uh, actually turned out to be enjoyable, but I didn't appreciate, uh, I guess, uh, just how uh, staunch a vegetarian he is. <laughs> and uh, I think the entire cost of the meal for all four of us was like $75.00. Uh, and I had two $300 bottles of wine. <laughs> There's so, so somewhat. So he somewhat, picked the restaurant, you brought the wine. Uh, somewhat bizarre, <laughs> but it was great wine, I'll tell you that. And they did enjoy it, and I, I did as well. But at that point, did you have any sense that things weren't no, going smoothly? No, see, I, Steve and it was I. a had, month before you left. This, this was. Um, less than a month. Less than a month before I left. In fact, if you were fly on the wall watching us that evening, the dis- dinner lasted over three hours. It was filled with laughs and conversation and, and intimate stories and uh, just, uh, just you would imagine that these were the two very best of friends. Two weeks later, I was fired. And I came to discover that he had been working for a number of months behind the scenes to reach that uh, eventuality. Point of view on WNUA 95.5. It's Dr. Gil Emilio, the chief of Apple Computer, from February 96 to July 97. His book is On the Firing Line, My 500 Days at Apple. Um, have you and, and Jobs uh, talked in any substantial fashion since you left the company? We've had uh, probably half a dozen phone conversations, and uh, we've had one face-to-face meeting. I would have to characterize all of those as somewhat chilled, uh, perhaps <laughs> not, not surprisingly. How would, how would you assess what has happened, what he has done, and what's happened at Apple since you left? I think the good news is that uh, we had mapped out this grand plan to get the company uh, turned around, uh, basically made up of three major steps. Step one was to fix the balance sheet, which I did during my watch. Step two was to fix the bottom line, start making money again, uh, which we were on our way to doing, 
uh, but which has now been concluded in the early days of Steve's administration. And then the third step was to get the top line to grow again, to start growing revenues again. And we wanted to do it in that order, and, uh, and, and we had a, a programs and, and actions defined in each of those phases to, uh, to make that happen. To Steve's credit, uh, he has pretty much followed, uh, with only minor exception, uh, the plan we had laid out uh, in, uh, in the early days of, uh, in the late days of 96 and early 97. Uh, and so it's working pretty much the way we advertised. Uh, the, uh, so I give him credit for doing that. I hope he continues to do it. Uh, I know Steve is, is a guy of this, uh, again, phenomenal imagination. It's very difficult for him by nature to stay the course. He wants, he wants to go try new things. He, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like sending a child down the path to school uh, with all these beautiful green fields and daisies. And, you know, it's really so much more fun to go play over in the daisies than to go to school. But I tried to, but so, so long as he has the discipline to stay on the course, uh, I think uh, the company will gradually return to health. What do you say to people, individuals and companies out there that, that are using or considering using the Macintosh, Apple computer platform, uh, you know, what do you, what do you advise them? I'd say go buy it. Don't worry about it. I mean, Apple will always be around. Uh, I have no confident, uh, no, no concern that it's, that it's not going to be around. The, the issue to me is not whether it's going to survive or not, but, but whether it's going to be really important in the larger scheme of the computer industry. Uh, for sure, it, and, and the worst, sort of the worst case would be it will find a little niche made up of, uh, a uh, collection of people like myself who love the Mac and will support it at, at all costs. Uh, schools, hopefully, which will continue to use it. Uh, the creative artists community, where, where the machine is very, very strong. Some of the scientific community, where the machine is also very popular and very strong. And that is enough of a marketplace that, that can sustain a pretty good-sized company for indefinitely into the future. Uh, but that's not a terribly exciting outcome because now you're no longer controlling the destiny of the industry, which is what the whole game's about. Uh, the five, the grand plan that I had was was to do the latter, and uh, what I wanted to do was to attack the very thing that made it possible for Microsoft to have a monopoly, and that was the fact that the way computer personal computer architecture has worked is. Uh, you have hardware, you have an operating system, and you have applications, and those things are all rigidly locked together. If you change one, you have to change them all. And what I wanted to do was break up that paradigm. I wanted to come out with an operating system that could run on any hardware, and applications that could run on any operating system. Now, if you can open up the industry like that and really create such technology, it changes the whole playing field. It's a level field. It, exactly. Now, your concern about buying a Mac goes away because you say, hey, I can run... I can put any OS on it I want, and I can put, more importantly, I can run any application I want, because I'm probably going to buy a Mac because I like the OS, but gee whiz, I want to be able to run some of those applications. With my model, you were able to do it. I had the engineers working on that for uh, the better part of a year. It was one of the first things I chartered the R&D folks to work on when I got there, and they had it figured out. Uh, and it turned out that the Next operating system that we acquired it with the acquisition of Next was a key step in putting that together. And when we were evaluating operating systems, that was one of the metrics we were looking for, was would we take this into that direction? So the whole idea was then to fundamentally change the game. And I hope 
I do not know, but I hope Apple is still following that strategy because that's the only way they're going to have a big win. What have you learned that can benefit uh, leaders of other companies, big and small? Well, I think the most uh, important thing uh, that I, I learned was that uh, uh, some companies just have to be managed differently. Uh, I went in with a tried and true uh, mental plan of, of how I was going to fix Apple. I had done it four times before, all successful, but Apple was different. The Apple culture was different than anywhere I'd ever been. All, every company I'd ever been had a, had a disciplined organization. If the CEO came in and said, okay, guys, we're going to go do that, there was this cloud of smoke and a lot of activity, and off they went in that direction. Uh, in Apple, of course, what I, what I got was these, uh, you know, benign smiles and, and, and this, <laughs> like, like, almost like children going off and doing something totally different. And you oh, you've been to my house. Yes, <laughs> and you ha so you have to, you know, you have to go about running these companies differently. And so uh, that's the most important thing I would learn is that I would have attacked the culture issues much harder, much faster. I would have cleaned up the management team, which was a big contributor to the problem, much faster. Uh, I would have refrained from making any predictions about when the bottom line would get uh, get fixed. Uh, but everything else, I think, I did pretty pretty much right. And bring our listeners up to speed on what you're doing now. I am a member... Besides promoting the book. Besides promoting the book. <laughs> uh, in my spare time, <laughs> I am a member of this company called the Parkside Group, made up of two other ex-CEOs and myself, and we do strategic equity investment. And we invest in people who not only uh, need money, but who could benefit from the wisdom that us three gray hair around the temples guys can, can bring to them. And, uh, and so we look for situations that perhaps are undervalued, where we can buy an equity position at a, at, a, at a good price, and that we can contribute to the increase of its value based on our experience. And frankly, it, we're getting a very warm welcome to this concept, and lots of people want to want to talk to us. Thanks for spending time with us. Thanks, Our guest Carl. on Point of View on WNUA 95.5 has been the former boss of Apple Computer, Gil Emilio. His book is On the Firing Line, My 500 Days at Apple, published by Harper Business. I'm Charlie Meyerson. Thanks for tuning in. The views expressed on Point of View are those of the participants and not necessarily those of WNUA 95.5 or Chancellor Media Corporation. You can write to us at 444 North Michigan, Chicago 60611, or send your email to wnuanews at aol.com. Point of View is an exclusive presentation of the news department of WNUA 95.5, Chicago.